Hello and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at Jokes on Drew. The music you just heard is a piece of the outstanding score composed for the new Spanish prison thriller, The Platform, that dropped on Netflix back on March 20th, which kind of seems like four months ago in these modern times. The movie centers around the experiences of our protagonist, Goring, who enters into a vertical tower-style prison. One cell per level, two people per cell, one platform full of food for all the prisoners, two minutes to eat from the platform per level. I don't know. Does the math work out on that? Is there enough to go around? What would you do to survive? There is so much violence and chaos in this movie and so many questions that needed answering. So I brought on my pal, the co-host of the Pina Comics podcast, my cellmate for life, Mr. Johnny Ganache. You may remember John from our episodes on The Ritual, I Am Mother, and Michael Bay's Six Underground. He is also a terrific guest for anyone who's listened to these past episodes. And his podcast is always a great hang with friends of the show, Sir John and Lloyd the Manster. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Pina Comics wherever you get podcasts and check out all the content they produce at pinacomics.com. Okay, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the Nomcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. All right, here it is, The Platform, with Johnny Ganache of Pina Comics. Give a listen. Well, so we could start there. I mean, so a couple of things right off the bat. I've been chomping at the bit to talk about this movie. Like, when I first watched it, like, I think I even messaged you, like, immediately. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Holy shit. You know? Like, I'm only X amount of minutes in, and I'm like, holy shit. I think that was pretty much what I sent to you. Um, Because, you know... I, I heard a lot about this movie. I think I sent you an article almost immediately, or I sent you like a late night booty call message <laughs> of like what the the movie was, and sent you a trailer or something. And you know, it's a wild movie. It comes with some kind of a pedigree because it won awards at the Toronto International Film Festival uh, for its Midnight Madness category, which is essentially what this movie is. It is totally a midnight movie kind of a thing. Oh yeah, I mean. For, for being, it's the director's first film, uh, you know, and it's a Netflix movie, so people have obviously different levels of expectation with those things, and yet, I think this movie looks really good. I think it moves really well. Yeah. I was qu- quite impressed considering where, where it comes from, because a lot of times I'm doing a movie with you or somebody else, and I go... Yeah, I can tell this is a first-time director. Like, they took a swing. Here we go. Whatever. This movie had me, whether you love it or hate it, we'll get there in a minute, obviously. But it grabs onto you, and it doesn't let go. Whether you're hating the experience or loving the experience, this movie captures the imagination and definitely has something going on. For a a crisp movie, it's basically an hour and a half. Hour and a half, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, uh it's um tight. It's real tight. It gets a lot done in 90 minutes. I've seen I I had the notion uh when I was watching it to kind of compare it to a stage play because of the way it's kind of Absolutely. Sta- 
Yeah, and then I read a few reviews, and um, one of the review people I like, uh, there's a few. Amy Nicholson is one of them. She writes for Variety, and she said that the same thing. She actually went a step further in saying it kind of reminded her of like a Samuel Beckett you know mark twain obviously kind of uh waiting for godot type yeah. thing uh which is interesting because uh, um you know the heady things that you can say about this movie and then watch the movie are like two different experiences because you could be like oh it's like a stage player oh it's like samuel beckett or oh it's oh i can see all the things with the don quixote influence that they put into the movie there's all these like literary things and all these heady ideas and then you just get down to the nuts and bolts be like yo there's so many suicides and stabbings and like you know people getting beat to death or hanging eating people people eating people people. like so (laughs) (laughs) there are two sides of this coin that's why i was like Oh, man, I can't wait to hear what John has to say about this movie. Because here's the thing. It's all of it. It's everything I just said is all relevant. Yeah. it's You said the play thing got me really excited because as I was watching it, I could picture this on stage somewhere where the cell just changes every time the platform comes down in terms of uh, they never move anything other than the different characters come in and, right. you know, in a practical way to do it. And it felt very much like, especially the first, you know, 25 minutes or so, it felt very much like a two-man play where, yeah. and you weren't sure. I wasn't sure. I know I had seen the previews, so I knew people were going to come into it. But if you had told me going into this that this movie would have been those two characters the whole time, I would have believed it, and I would have been interested to have seen that even as well. Uh, I did enjoy this movie quite a bit, but I do think the strongest bit of it for me was the first act, the first, the third of it, where it's yeah. uh, go, is it Goring? What are the what's the character's name? Goring. Yeah. Goring and Tramasu. Tr- <laughs> yeah, I have it here. I, I was I was tripping uh, myself too. So it's Goring and. Trimagasi. Trimagasi, yeah. Yeah. Those two guys, uh, their story and their interactions and the actors, fantastic. Yeah, I thought the the type of people that they introduce later definitely uh, are intriguing and they work on a certain level. But I absolutely agree with you that the first act is the most intriguing. And in fact, I would probably say without going too far in is that I'd probably say my favorite sequence is probably the end of their time together in the first cell in the first one that they start with right into the bound and gagged (laughs) you know conversations that happen right after they go to the new cell and those preceding conversations and then or the the conversations after that and then obviously the entry into uh, a woman who is baffling from start to finish, uh, Mahari, uh, who oh, is yeah. the woman who is lowered on the platform, uh, you know, ends up, uh, you know, in that situation as well. I'm trying to stay away from spoilers until we get too deep. A little so, bit deeper? Uh, okay. Yeah, so I'm trying to kind of keep this as service as I can so that way people... I, I've, I've started to feel guilty, John. I've started <laughs> to feel bad about uh people coming in and you know maybe having uh you know 
some like they haven't seen <coughs> this yet. They're just trying. A lot of people tell me they uh, come to my podcast to see whether I liked it or not, to know whether to watch it. So I feel like if I start the podcast a little bit more like you know casual and kind of like showing some of the cards before getting deep in that I feel like those people can benefit uh, because I'm all for the people and obviously so is this movie. <laughs> Nomcast. Podcast yeah. for the people. That's right. <laughs> and I can't wait for when they make this movie uh, into an American version where Bernie Sanders plays the old man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because uh, obviously this movie is kind of a social experiment but also relatively political as well i mean they straight up ask now again they don't use the term socialist but they do ask goring at one point like are you are you a communist a a communist instead and you know you know different sides of a similar coin it's all trying to uh you know share the pie in some regard so what did you think of the actual prison, how it's set up, and how they try to make this movie. And I read an article with the director where he literally said, you know, it's a social experiment. And yeah. and, and did you ever see... You seem like a person who might have seen the movie Cube back I've in never the day. seen Cube. I've. It's one of no. those ones that I'm kind of uh, sad that I've never seen. I've got to get around to it. Uh, but... It's not great. It, I hear the first one's great, and then by the time you get to, like, Hypercube, it's just like... Like anything else, like, okay, this is the fourth one, you know. Right. No one cares anymore. I mean, because at least it's the same kind of premise to where you're talking about a, a, a certain type of prison to kind of show you, you know, different ways of how to maybe break out or lessons to learn or things like that. This movie has some of those elements, obviously, and I think that the execution here is very well done. Um, especially because you know this movie is a lower budget movie. Oh yeah, you know, it's a it's a Spanish film, first time director. You know, it got acquired afterwards, so it's not like Netflix Netflix funded this movie. They acquired it from Toronto International Film Festival. So I was actually quite impressed, like I was saying before, about the look at the prison, the the type of effects, the the practical effects. Of the, the food budget, the food budget down. had to have been huge. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if because okay, uh, so <laughs> I will ask more of a pointed question. It's not a spoiler per se, but do you want to be in that culinary school? And do you think it's like a school, or does it actually like a high end? You know, just for the purpose of the prison. I felt like it was just for the purpose of the prison, but I felt like it was obviously run. By someone that was exacting. I mean, there's the one scene without yeah. spoiling it where he freaks out the you know the head. I guess I wouldn't say he's a chef. Maybe he's the mastermind of yeah. of the food at least. And this is food that is designed to start on the top level and be the most beautiful spread you've ever seen. And by the time it gets to there's the bottom of the prison, it's literally eaten over garbage and bullshit and disgust and nastiness but there's a scene in the very beginning where or you know in the middle of the movie where they kind of go back to those guys and he finds a hair in like the panna cotta or whatever and he gets the four people that he thinks are responsible and he 
he you know matches the hair to the guy and right. he's obviously yeah. he's screaming and shaking and so yeah it shows that whoever this guy is the food is the most important part of everything even though this food by the time he gets 10 levels down is going to be so decimated and disgusting and inedible yeah but there's standards first 10 levels or first 3 levels you're going to get an experience uh, right it took me a while too my I, my wife had to point it out to me. I didn't realize that the levels on this building started one at top and then went down because there was a point where he ended up from level 48 to, I think, right. 230. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's great. 230, it's going to come down. And, you know, because normally, no. <laughs> yeah, normally you go to the 15th floor of a building, it's higher up. Sure. So they yeah, reversed it, sense. you know? Yes. But yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe to kind of like, I don't know if the, the Spanish use this same kind of terminology, but the 1% is literally like the one, you know, the yeah, first this floor movie, kind of thing. This movie, uh, uh, I won't say a fault of it, but I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that wears its intentions on its sleeve like this movie. You know what oh, I mean? Like, God, yeah. it's not even thinly veiled. Like, no. this is this movie. Here, listen. Again, watch it. Listen to this point of the nomcast. Go watch the platform. Come back for the spoilery stuff. This yeah. movie is about social class. This movie is about uh, 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 political standing. This movie is about. Being on the top one day and the next day you could be on the bottom. This movie is, it literally wears its intentions on its sleeve. And it doesn't, it doesn't even try to hide that. It's put in the context of this weird social experiment. But yeah, that's what it's about. <laughs> John, you missed one key element though. Uh, this movie is all about, ain't student loans a bitch? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because everybody seems to be getting a degree if you survive prison. Yeah. Uh, which is a weird uh, kind of byproduct of this, or, uh, you know, to kind of. If you think of the administration as literally like the government. Right. And, and you kind of take it as, you know, you get a benefit for suffering through for a certain amount of time, it kind of is just trying to emulate, <laughs> which in a bizarre way emulate uh society right. obviously and and obviously showing that you know the cream of the crop get the best before everybody else everybody else is fighting for scraps you're just trying to survive you're just trying to live then there's people who come in with you know certain intentions of what they're trying to get out of the system but to, it's kind of showing you that you kind of have to survive their intentions to get it i mean because if you think of how anytime you borrow money or go through a program or any of these things, they have you by the balls, yeah. uh, like, you know, governmentally speaking right now. So obviously there's a lot of those kind of subtle or not so subtle hints in this movie, but I feel like I'm really not selling it yet. And I think that's where I'm going to start to go. First of all, I want to thank our sponsors, the Samurai Plus uh, <laughs> is sponsoring this podcast. Samurai today. Max. Yeah. And then fuck Samurai the Max. Plus. Yeah. yeah, fuck the Max. Yeah. Going right for the Samurai Plus. Because uh, it's so universal. Sharpens itself. It's amazing. Uh, I definitely recommend you guys go out. We'll, we'll put the promo code at the end of the episode. But uh, <laughs> Only knife you'll ever need. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, for all different kinds of <laughs> occasions. 
<laughs> but but like I said, when I first watched this movie, my impressions were I absolutely loved it until the very end. And I think okay. the way it tried to stick its landing, it reminded me, and I think I've used this term either to you before or uh, in a Pine of Comics episode, actually. Uh, you've seen the movie Equilibrium? Yes, and you did bring that up at some point, yeah. Yeah, so Christian Bale, uh, you know, martial arts kind of action movie, but Gun kind Kata. of a... Go- yeah, it's a government overlord type situation that he's trying to rally against uh, these people, right? Remember, weren't they on pills or something? Yeah, it's been a long time. He was trying to get yeah. people to, yeah, I believe that was the concept where he's trying to get people to not take the pills and wake up. Nobody, you weren't allowed uh, to have emotions. Everybody yes, was drugged. Right. No like emotions. The, right. the pills took away your emotions. Right. Um, so, you know, obviously it's a little bit different here, but it, it was definitely a movie that was trying to be you know, preachy towards a certain subject matter, uh, obviously with dope-ass kung fu <laughs> and yes. really good fighting scenes, which was kind of the selling point. And it's kind of the same thing here where message, as far as the message carrying out all the way to the end is one thing about this movie, but the ride and the intensity of the scenes and the acting and everything that gets you to the end in lockstep with everything they want you to do is really good. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you felt the same way. Obviously, you're kind of shaking your head. So uh, what what do you think about that? Because to me, I thought it, you know, I thought the message was going to be bigger <clears throat> or, or that it was going to be more coherent maybe towards the end. I mean, I wasn't totally lost. And I think I have some certain answers in my own head for quote unquote like what the message was or who the message is or what it means when they say certain people or things are the message at the end but a lot of people online seem to be lost and Ah. so i will say for myself i enjoyed everything i agree with you the first act is and into that whenever those that first pairing is together i think it's the best stuff but I really was into it until the very end, and then I ended the movie, and I was like, hmm, so yeah, what do you think? I agree. I And okay. I don't know if I have a, a necessarily a really good idea of what the message was at the end. And I'll freely admit that. People might listen to this and go, you're a fucking idiot. I, I'm not going to lie. I understood what the original message was with, right. the, with the Panna Cotta, right? I understood what they were trying to show. They were trying to show that, you know, we can, their final mission at the end was we can work it out so everybody gets something, right? Right. So, you know, and that's the the correlation to the real world is that there's people, the rich get rich and, and the poor get poor, and right. there's no real in-between. There's a, a little bit of in-between, but, but what if someone came along and said, you get this much, and you get this much, and you get this much. And the idea behind that was if we can get a piece of food all the way back to the top, we could show that everybody had their fill and there was something left over. Um, I got that. When you got into the girl part, the young girl, and how she's the message now, and kind of the vagueness, I mean, are we going full spoiler now or no? Yeah, we might as well. The, the, so, so does he you know, die at everybody the Everybody earmuffs. Yeah. 
I I think so. I think he's dead. I, he was beaten to hell, which yeah. I like the fact that after a beating of the severity he took, he didn't just get up. He was th- that last, you know, 10 levels or whatever it was. He was not moving, you know? No, it's just survival. Right. Straight survival. And yeah. when he gets to the bottom, he dies. And I think the way you know he dies is that he, uh, what's his name again? Tira, Tira Gamp. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. It's a, it's a real tough one, but uh, his original roommate, Trimagasi. Trimagasi. He sees Trimagasi, who at this point we've already kind of at that point figured out is living in his head, even though he's dead. And yeah. he's seeing that. I think at this point you're supposed to say, okay, now they're both dead. They're going to move on. Um, but right. What would be the point of showing the fact that the girl survived all this? I don't know. I really don't know. I'd like to hear what you think. I mean, I basically took it as kind of, you know, because if you're following the assumption that she is uh, Mahari's daughter. Daughter, right. And, yeah, you know, obviously, which is, you know, she's Asian, so you're kind of leaning heavy into that. Uh, if you take that as th- think of it like the food, if if something had to survive to get down to the levels that that child is in, had to survive long enough for whatever age that kid was in because she came in alone. So to me, the uh, my assumption is that she didn't know she was pregnant when she went in and then had the kid in the prison, managed to hide the kid. And then still provide by going up and down the level. Right. Now, re- remember also that Mahari uh, is listed by the the administration officer that ends up in the prison later, uh, that she's an actress. So you kind of take it as she lied about because she said she has a son. That was the, the cover story was that she's looking for her son, not a son. Daughter right, shows right. up at the end, so obviously that's a little confusing for some. Uh, in fact, I actually wrote down uh, because I wanted to keep track for myself uh, what we learn about Mahari. So, and it's kind of like chronological. So, she eats dogs. <laughs> yeah, she, she eats the shit out of a dog, <laughs> or you could say loves dogs. Yeah, uh, depending <laughs> on your your <laughs> side of the coin. So. She has a son who is missing, is what is said in the beginning. She kills her cellmate every month so that way she might get her son as a cellmate for the next month. So if that's a thought, given what we know at the end, both of those things are bullshit. Right. Hypothetically. Because you don't see a cellmate with the kid when you're down in those lower depths. So you would think it's a stash job because nobody can survive there. And who knows how many people actually end up there. Yeah, everybody's dead on the lower levels. There's nothing left. Right, because right. either a lot of people are committing suicide because they see the number or, you know, something to that effect. But obviously, if there was a small child there, you know, you would have, you know, probably easy pickings. So obviously you're you're seeing her go down the platform every day. I don't know if that's also whether it's to feed her or whether it's to hide her or protect her or both. Who knows if it's even the the clear association that we're saying. 
but I believe that's probably the set of circumstances that we're looking at. So the message is, this survived your prison. This is hope. This is a message of hope and, you know, overcoming the prison. Okay. So when she gets out and she's going to be seen as getting out by everybody on the way up or whatever, uh, that that would be a clear message that you didn't break us. That's what I took from it. Is that the message? Who the fuck knows? (laughs) Well, I I think at the same time, this movie is the kind of movie where it's written to be, what do you think the message was? And if that's what you think the message was, then I think that's what the message is for you. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know if the director would be able to tell you, oh, this is the answer. There probably is no answer. It's probably, how did you look at it? How did I look at it? How did everybody that watches this on Netflix look at it? And that's, that makes sense. I thought about it and I just thought, you know, I, I guess I go along with what you're saying where I understand that, okay, something could survive this. Something did beat the odds because that's what this whole yeah. thing is about. It's it's yeah. a social experiment. What do they what do they call it? A vertical Yeah, I know they uh, they called it like a vertical self-improvement center right. or sel- a self-assessment something yeah. to that effect. And <laughs> I got a good chuckle and obviously even Goring did as well. Uh so, you know, uh it, it is ridiculous uh to even call it that. By the way, I had one question before we get a little bit deeper here too how did you watch this movie did you watch this movie Uh, with uh subtitled or did you watch it uh with the dub spanish audio subtitles i hate dub hate it i hate always hate it and uh, i i watched the first move uh i watched the movie the first time uh with the you know spanish audio subtitles the way it's intended and then the second time I wanted to like take notes and stuff. So I was like, okay, let me see what the, the dub sounds like. So that way I can kind of listen to it in the background. So I don't like miss anything. I don't have to constantly be watching to read. And my God are the fucking dub actors so different and off putting quite frankly, that it's like a different movie. So my suggestion to anyone else, if you, especially if you've gotten this far, uh, if you watch this movie dubbed and you don't like it, I don't blame you. Watch, But my suggestion would be to watch it again the way it was intended with the Spanish audio and the subtitles because the actual performances and the conveyance of these actors are so much better than the voice actors they chose to represent them. It's so bizarre how different... The guy who plays... Trigamasi, Trigamasi, yeah, His voice is so incredible, and yes, I can't, I can't get it out of my head. The way you know his his catchphrase is obviously, but in Spanish it's obvio, and he says it a lot. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't watch it that way. I a I never like dubbing; it's distracting to me, very distracting to me, and. um, it doesn't feel like uh, there's something about seeing the actor too and going, you don't sound anything yeah. like that. And it's, it's almost condescending, especially because, you know, it's not like they, especially in this one, I don't feel like they even hired Spanish actors who speak English. Like it just felt like English, like an American or something like right. that was just speaking hey guys. English. 
Right. What yeah, level are we on this time? Oh no, guy, 227. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, Mickey just... Mouse, Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> E Street Band. <laughs> yeah. Why do we sound like we're in gung-ho all of a sudden? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> or a long duck dong or something. Uh, but so, yeah, I definitely wanted to ask that, but I didn't want us to get too sidetracked. But the me- like you said, the message is whatever you take out of it. One thing you brought up, which I actually giggled to myself, you said like, oh, yeah, the director might say one thing or this is what the director said. I encourage anyone who is seeking answers for this movie and wants to just punch themselves in the balls to do what I did, uh, which was I was on Twitter Somebody uh, had posted uh, or tweeted out uh, an article that Collider did with the director, and it said, like, are you confused about the ending searching for answers? Well, here's an interview with the director, and, th- like, I that wasn't the full headline. Like, if you go into the headline, <laughs> which is where I started to laugh, because the headline is, the platform director's ending explanation is as intriguing as the movie. And I'm yeah. like, ah, oh, shit. And what that basically means is he didn't give you anything. No. And in fact, at one point, completely seems like he's in his own world talking nonsense uh, at one point because it looks like it was probably like an email, uh, like correspondence for the interview. Like, here's my questions. Please answer these questions. And he like like trails off in his own answers, literally putting, you know, like... (laughs) You know, dot, 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 like just doesn't finish sentences. It's wild what this guy does. I feel like whenever there's a movie along these lines where there's not a definitive answer, right? Yeah. Um, like I'll give Inception, Inception uh, as a example. Sure. You don't know at the end when the top is spinning. Whether there's clues throughout the whole movie or not, you don't know whether he's in the dream world or in the real world. You right. don't know. And Christopher Nolan could tell you all day long what he thinks, but if it's not there in the final product, then that's the fucking answer. There is no answer. So if the director of this movie did come out and say, oh, uh, Goring lives, he gets off on the final um, level, they take him out, he goes to get his diploma, it doesn't matter because they didn't show any of that. You know, That's why I tend to like movies that do stuff like this. Because it leaves it up to interpretation, whether your interpretation is one thing or another. You could argue with your friends all day long, and neither of you is going to be right, because it's not there on the screen. The credits pop up, the credits end, and then Netflix tells you to watch fucking Tiger King or whatever. It's right. over. You know what I mean? It's right. it's over. So yeah. that's what I like about stuff like this. And and I agree. I I. I don't really want the director to tell me what his intentions were in terms sure. of like, you know, you left it that way for a reason. So now let me figure out what happened. Yeah. And I would think a director like this, especially if he's this evasive and everything else, he's probably gets his rocks off hearing fan theories right. and, and people who watch this movie. I'm sure there are people who aren't like you or myself uh, where we watch this movie and we still enjoy this movie, even though we don't know exactly what's going on. That like it's kind of like a philosophical text, but right. with a lot of gore and a lot of fun, uh, and and a lot of things that definitely yeah, look, hold your attention. 
somebody shits on somebody else's face in this movie. Yes. That's all you need. Right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Right. This could be the most philosophical movie of all time. It can right. have the unanswered questions of the universe, but at one point, someone takes a dump on another person's face. That's all you need to know. <laughs> that's absolutely right. And to me, you know, that's kind of the 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 selling point for this movie. Not the shit exactly, <laughs> but the fact that literally you're you're gonna hear you know, social political commentary, sort of, you're going to have literary references, you're going to, but you are going to get someone shit on their face. You are going to see someone, you know, a dog disemboweled on, on the ground. You're going to see someone hanging or like someone jumping from a high level and committing suicide. You're going to see all these horrible things. Yeah. Uh, yet. It's a very enjoyable movie, and I didn't feel like it was so gory at times that I like was put off or anything. I don't know if I'm just a madman, but no. you know, no, there was. I, I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you a funny story about this, and it might have been the movie, the eating scenes, which in the trailer looked horrifying. They were tamer in the movie than I expected. You know, there wasn't as much focus on them eating. You know, six level leftovers and shit it was gross there's a lot of a lot of uh you know if you're a person that has that like i hate people chewing sound yeah. thing get away from this movie because yeah. there's a lot of like a lot of that shit and i'm not a huge fan of that stuff but i will say this so the movie ended and uh it, it watched it last night so sunday for us and um sure. after the movie ended it just coincided with my wife had finished making dinner and her <laughs> dinner was fine it was chicken you know breaded chicken tenders and some vegetables and i ate it but i shit you not and i never have stomach discomfort i had like a little bit of a stomach ache after watching this movie and i truly a hundred percent believe that it was the subject matter and the the whole idea of it i think it was like it unnerved me a little bit i'm and yeah. i'm not i'm not saying that for it's not hyperbole or anything it's true i i finished dinner and i was like yeah I should have waited an hour after watching that movie. I purposely didn't eat before watching the movie because the trailers. I'm like, this movie might be too gross to fucking watch, watch after eating. <laughs> I hear you, man. Uh, but I don't heed my own call uh, because I watch, uh, I think both times, at least for portions of the film, I watched it on my lunch break. Uh, so please. I was literally like sitting there eating my lunch while watching this movie. And yeah, like I'm not like if I'm sitting next to someone at dinner, I'm not, you know, grossed out hearing like chewing noises or people eating or whatever. I don't get that way. But something about the recorded audio version like this. What do they call that? ESMR or whatever. Yeah. Like those yeah, things yeah. where people like listen to it almost like to get soothed in some way or some of those things. It's like. You people baffle me because, yeah. yeah, that bothered me way more than the gore or violence in this movie. Um, Tr Trigamasu, uh, again, whatever his name was. <laughs> tiramisu. Eating, yeah. tir tiramisu, delicious yeah. Italian dessert. Yeah, him eating, like, the fucking chicken wings or whatever, and he's, yeah. he's an older guy anyway, and it's just making all these slurping sounds. I was like, oh, God. Ugh. Can't handle it. No. Well, Another thing, and, and long-time listeners of the podcast, like I've been doing it for years on end, but uh, if you've listened to this podcast enough, you've probably determined that I'm not the uh, biggest uh, religion fan. 
uh, organized religion <laughs> fan. But I will say that one thing that uh, they do kind of lay out for this movie, too, and I don't know your background in terms of that, John, but they I don't know if they're going for a Jesus-y thing here or whether it's kind of more leaning into the the Don Quixote kind of like trying to be a better person amongst society thing because you know in a way between the the two people that he had previously in his cell who passed away I say passed away like it's so like <laughs> yeah. this nice thing it's like oh well yeah. this person got stabbed and this person stabbed to death and killed themselves yeah right yeah so you know, but he's having visions or what have you of these people around while he's on this journey of trying to be a better person. It kind of hinted a little bit at like Passion of the Christ type stuff. Now, I don't know if that was an intent. Uh, kind of saying someone's like a gift or a message or something too feels very biblical. Right. You know, so, and they literally straight out call him the Messiah. At one, you know, a couple of different points. So to me, I, I, I don't know if I'm because I'm not exactly a religious scholar, but I would say that I was raised in the church, so I have a, a great sense of you know certain at least Christian values and stories. But I don't know if I'm misreading this or whether it was you because know, to me the the socialism or the you know the kind of societal stuff makes way more sense to me than if they were trying to get mystical here. Because well, a lot Jesus of times... was a communist, right? Isn't that what they say? Jesus was essentially a communist? Yeah, he's um, a Jewish socialist, communist, whatever, like some I never, version of that, yeah. As While watching this, I'll fully admit, because I'm not a religious person, and I don't necessarily look through those eyes, sure. I never thought of it that way. But when you say it, I mean, he essentially goes in as a poor guy, who has uh, he has morals? He doesn't want to do what needs to be done in the beginning. He's willing not to eat. He's you know he's going to do all that. He falls into the habit. I mean, there's that montage where he's just eating everything just like everybody else. But then right. through contact with some people, his second uh, roommate, roommate, uh, cellmate, um, the woman who is trying to initially start rationing food. He starts to see the benefit of what this could do. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to wonder. I mean, could he be like a Christ-like figure to the people left over afterwards? He's dead. Let's say he's dead. But the people in the other cells start to remember this man who made sure that everybody got some. Because even though most people were dead on the lower levels, I'm sure there was people in those mid to lower levels that are used to drinking wine with a little bread floating in it who probably got like two apples or something, you know, and he might be looked at as, you know, because of his short time there and the fact that he dies, he might be looked at that way. Like the man who who helped us, the man who changed everything. There's a, there's a lot you could unpack from what happens in this movie. Yeah. And now I, I thank you for that that speech because, and this is what happens with me all the time, is I pick up on a few words and then I instantly get an idea. Uh, our friend, uh, Chris Ferdell, who sometimes does Photoshop project stuff out, out of something that comes out of my mouth, start taking notes, Chris, uh, buckle up, <laughs> because uh, you guys on your podcast did an episode with uh, Chad Dizzle Davis, who's been on my podcast as well, uh, for the movie Everybody Wants Some. 
Yeah. And right there, I want there to be an alternative poster for the platform that says everybody wants some. Everybody wants some. Everybody yeah. gets some. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because that that to me is like I want to see that like 70s font. But like for the platform, <laughs> like we're just hanging out, passing out the food, like them, the him and his uh, last roommate there. When they're, I love that guy. Room. I love whoever that Far guy hot. was. He was great. Yeah. Uh, th- okay. So another thing to go along with the religious thing while we're talking about Baharat, I believe Baharat, how you pronounce yeah. his name. The wise man character, I yeah. thought was the most jarring and weird part. Of the whole movie, which is in this movie. That's big. But yeah. But again, leaning into the religious stuff, it's like literally he just said, who is this guy? Oh, he's a very wise man or he's a wise man. It's like, is that supposed to be part of the the Christ journey stuff too, where they're just alluding? Because you've never seen this guy before. He only knows, you know, Baharat and... He doesn't have a name. They just refer to him as a wise man. And then he kind of gives them the message help through there. But it's kind of, you know, for a movie like this, it's kind of cartoonish, comparatively speaking. Like, to me, that was one of the only scenes that didn't fully work on me. Or at least I was like, all right already. You know, as far as like uh, the heavy handed heavy handedness that can uh, kind of come through for this movie. So what did you think of that? Did you pick up on that at all? Yeah, I guess I was more concerned with, not concerned, but curious as to what his relationship to Baharat was. At first, just because they both appeared to be African-American and he was much older, I was going to, is his grandfather? Is his father in here with him? Could have been. They didn't say that. They just said a wise man. Yeah, I think the interaction that I was more weirded out by, and it was much smaller, but it was just kind of, uh, I don't know, it was, I was captivated by it, was, I think it was after that, when they're going on their journey through the levels to feed everybody, was the one guy on the level that appeared to be maybe Down Syndrome, and yeah, I was very off put by that too because he's maniacal whole, and crazy. He was he's like, I am so, going to open up his belly and yes, eat whatever he hasn't digested. He was so <laughs> matter of fact of like, it doesn't matter what you give him because I'm going to cut him open and eat it. And yeah. I just felt like, like for what you know, we've seen the worst of humanity, maybe. I felt yeah. like this might be the level with true evil. Like this guy is fucking evil. And the yeah. fact that they used an actor that appeared to be, again, it just, I, that scene burned into my head. That scene disturbed me. I was like, yeah, get away from this guy. Get back on the fucking platform and go to the next level and don't come back to him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because again, uh, this is part of the, the double-edged sword of casting actors who, you know, maybe have certain disorders or mental issues or anything yeah. of that nature uh, obviously downs being a very specific uh syndrome that uh people are, uh have and you know in one way you're supposed to go well he can do anything that anybody else is he could be evil he could be good he's a right. human being so you want to treat it at its face but also you're kind of like that's the role you gave the one guy <laughs> who yeah. obviously stands out uh, in in this regard. So it's 
it's like, is it insulting or is it kind of like somehow empowering? I I, I didn't know how to take that, but it I is, felt like it, it was empowering dry. because a lot of times when you have you know actors that are of that you know whatever he was, and I don't want it to be cruel and sound like I'm saying Down syndrome. If it wasn't Down syndrome, sure. there was something going on there, yeah. and a lot of times they'll end up being the comic relief. Yes, and. And that can work too. I'm not. I, there's some actors out there. There's that Johnny Knoxville movie, The Ringer, that yeah. is ho- hilarious, and it uses actors with real mental disabilities. But the fact that they made this guy, and he was truly menacing, and he has literally yes. like three lines, and it's like a 25 second scene. Yeah. But out of there was worse things I saw in that movie. There was a stabbing that turned to a guy into a fucking puddle. That <laughs> wasn't ingrained in my head as much as the weird conversation with that guy. Yeah. yeah. Bizarre. I completely agree. Uh, so I'm just going to like kind of bottom line this for people. We're getting kind of towards the end. Uh, a few just quick question and answer things for you. First yeah. of all, what was your, who is your favorite character? There's only, you know, a couple of guys. And I think for, to me, watching this movie, Looking into their IMDb, their filmography, even stuff they have coming forward, I would not be shocked from this movie to see more from either the guy who played Goring or the guy who played Trimagasi. There was even, I read that same uh, Variety article that I mentioned earlier. They were like, is this guy auditioning to be a Bond villain? Because, you know, I'm like, people were envisioning that. I don't fully see that, but man, was he good. He was Trimagasi. out for me. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he yeah. was the standout yeah, yeah. for me, and any time he was on, he captivated me. But obviously, I think the guy who played Goring, uh, Ivan Masego, I'm gonna butcher the fuck out butcher of this. Butcher it up, <laughs> yeah, Ivan Masegwe, uh, uh who actually was in Pan's Labyrinth. If you uh, recognized him at all from that, yeah, I haven't it's seen a, it's it in a, a long time. Role. I know, same. Yeah. I haven't seen it since what it early, uh, probably 2005. Yeah, it's been a long time. 2006, whenever it came out. Uh, So he played El Tarta in Pan's Labyrinth, for anyone who uh, is curious. But I thought he was very good and definitely has a presence as well. Is there someone who you liked in particular, and do you agree with my assessment that kind of like, these guys have legs, these have career if they go. No, they were all good. Uh, Baharat, I like the guy who played him a lot. I I like the character. I like the fact that, he, you know, he had this enthusiasm about him, and his whole goal was to escape. Like nobody else is talking about escaping; they're talking about uh, what level am I on and what am I going to eat. And this guy's like, "I'm getting, I'm waiting to get on a good level, not for food, to be able to climb out of here." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he actually has a plan, and uh, I just, I like the guy who played him. You know, uh, and also it doesn't hurt that he ends up with a samurai sword. And there's just some Absolutely. cool, there's some cool little carnage scenes with that as well. But yeah, I liked him a lot. But Trimagasi, that guy was great. And uh, Goring, uh, the actor who played Goring was, you know, he had to hold the whole movie together, and True. he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely echo your sense about Bahara. Like uh, every time he was doing that menacing, like stay the fuck back. You know, kind of like leading with either the the piece of the bed that they took down initially or whether right. it was a samurai sword or whatever. And the fact that he just dialed in at one point when he was like, yeah, we're going to try to talk to them, be peaceful. Then they just didn't buy in. He was like, all right, fuck <laughs> this. I'm just going to yeah. smash heads. And 
I, I was laughing. I was so into that at, at some point. So, no, I totally... Uh, I'm inspired by his vertical integration at this point <laughs> to kind of go capitalist in a socialist movie. Definitely for a first time director, I was very impressed. It, it, was there something like the the look of this film, uh, anything with it stylistically that you enjoyed? Yeah, it looked great. I, I loved I love the idea of the light and the sound, the red and green light and yeah. just the when the platform was coming. Yeah. Just something about that. And the fact that like everybody is especially people that have been there for a long time, you know, Trimagasi gets his pillow and yeah. goes over to the edge and puts the pillow down because he's old and kneels down and starts to eat. And if you notice, um Goring starts with the pillow too. It's like you you're you're in this yeah. situation, you learn, and I don't know. I thought the set design was really good. Um yeah, I, I just I liked a lot of it. And again, I don't know the budget of this movie, but I know it had to have been pretty low and yeah. everything looked really good. You know, this is one of those movies because I always think of, I try to think of ideas that if, you know, something that I could do, if I was ever to write another screenplay, I've tried in the past, I've, you know, tried to write shorts or things in the past. And I always think like, what would be a very good cheap idea and this movie is like the epitome of that something that could almost be staged like for for a play but also can translate well to the screen and not bore anybody and kind of keep things the practical effects of the platform and everything else was very well done i I don't know what the background of the the people who designed it is or anything, but kudos to them because they definitely have bright futures. They could do so much more. Um, So the woman who he has as a cellmate, the woman from the administration, how manly is this woman? Is she supposed to be manly? Because they kind of do that face merge thing. You know what I thought? I, I honestly thought this. I thought this was probably some Spanish actress who's probably well-known, yes. who was probably very beautiful 30 years ago. Yeah. To me, it seemed like there was a ton of work up oh, top. Oh, God, yeah. Her face was puffed. So, right. So I would assume, and I could be totally wrong, that she was like the equivalent of uh, Kathleen Turner or something for us, where... 30 years ago, she was very well-known, a big star, and then things kind of went downhill, and then they started cutting up the the, uh, the grill. Um, that's how I felt about that woman. Yeah, and I felt bad for her because there's something about any time a character has breast cancer, they yeah. always have to show their breasts, whether yeah. to show like a mastectomy. We just did uh, The Last Thing He Wanted with Anne Hathaway, and Anne Hathaway's character survives breast cancer, but she's, you know, down to one. So right. they have a sex scene uh, with her and Ben Affleck, and Affleck is literally just caressing his hand over the phantom yeah, area, it's... area, the scarred area, and it's like, why? 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 Are we doing this? Like, yeah. is that is that again? Is that one of those things? Like, oh well, if we show it, then we're not we're being proud of it, or it's empowering. It's like, or we just don't need to do that. You know, yeah, in I, I general thought, as much as 
how it's supposed to play I, out. I, I almost felt like her. I agree. She she could say she had cancer and not have to show it. Um, I think that she was playing for his sympathies a little bit by showing it as well. Because I think in the end, even though she said she didn't know what was going on there, I right. think she had to have some kind of idea. And I don't think that she volunteered strictly because she was worried about dying and might as well go in and see what she could do. I think that she was paying her penance for... You know, like part of the thing you said was she claims that the, the, what was her name? The Karen, Maha. Baharat? No. Or are you talking the, about the woman? The woman. Oh, uh, <laughs> Imogiri? Uh, it's I-M-O-G-U-I-R-I. No, the, the, oh, the woman, woman with the baby. up and down. Uh, Mahara. Yeah. Mahara, excuse me. She claims Maharo was, you know, this actress who wanted to be the next Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, and called slant-eyed. Jesus Christ. And, and it seemed to me that a large part of it might have been that she allowed her to go in there when she was pregnant, knowing. Right. And she's probably done this to more than one person. You know, she did it to Goring. And if she didn't know, that's one thing. But I don't know. So, yeah. It was, I think the cancer thing was kind of like her trying to make herself feel better. That's how I read it, you know? Right. Yeah, it's interesting, that relationship, now that you're saying it, because it's kind of like, you know, did she recognize her? Did she attack her? Like, Because she obviously goes after the dog once she wakes up, not the one, right. but they're kind of coming to blows over the fact that the dog, the disemboweled dog is discovered. Shit, the fuck out of that dog, yeah. Yeah, so... But I wonder if there is something underneath the surface there, kind of like, you know, that maybe she didn't volunteer here for exactly. for noble purposes, that she was there to maybe snuff out the kid to try to see, like, is this still there? Because if the kid is the message and the kid is going to kind of show, you know, give hope to people or be a symbol or, you know, just something that survives from this hellhole literally right um then you know obviously maybe she's there to get more information and to get there but she didn't seem bent on that there wasn't any leanings but it does you know she is kind of a untrustworthy character given the fact that you know she represents the people who we don't know a shitload about at all nothing nothing not a thing which i hear they're they're the administration yeah yeah, I admired that it was just so blanket, that it was just like, yep, these people put you here, or th- these people have this operation, and the, the person who was working for them didn't, quote unquote, know it was this bad or what it was like, so even they're in the dark, so, you know, what is the purpose? What is every, uh, what is their mission? What is their entry? You have no fucking clue. You don't see anyone who represents it. You don't know if she is literally the administration for all I know. She could be the person who's running the whole fucking thing. Nobody knows. And yep. it's I almost admire that in a way because I'm fine like, with it. Cuz I don't the bigger the message in a small film like this. We talked about this with uh, I am mother when you guys were doing that yeah. for, when you guys were doing it. it. It was one of those movies where it's like if it stayed small, stays in that area, 
just in that very nice, very well done set design for the actual spaceship or the wh- however it's supposed to be laid out where they live. Uh, you know, if it if it stayed there and the messages and the action and everything stayed small and stayed strong there, that movie probably works better. The minute they go outside and it's like overly CGI'd and it tries to become a bigger message and all these the things. The tomato and, fields. Or corn? Yeah. Was it corn? Corn, yeah. yeah. Corn fields, yeah. yeah. They lost their way. So I, I again, admire that they kind of kept this to an hour and a half. They didn't make a, a big, oversweeping generalization of the administration, and they just kept the message simple, like, this is what we need to do. It's all action-based, you know, trying to do the noble, the right thing, even in a world of shit. And uh, here's where the mistake comes, in my opinion, in movies like this a lot of times, is one of two things. They make a Spanish-language sequel that obviously would have different prisoners but then they get into what is going on and show you the administration and show you the reasoning for this. Nobody wants to know. Right. Second thing is the American remake gets done by Blumhouse or somebody, and that is baked into the whole thing, is you got a two-hour movie now where throughout the course of the rest of the movie, we see behind the curtain, and at the end... The Goring character gets to the bottom level and has a fist fight with the guy who's in charge of the whole thing, and they yeah. essentially ruin it. To me, the 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 biggest movie ever made to fuck this up is the Matrix series, where yeah. like you had such a philosophically perfect first movie with you know all the action you want, these interesting characters, you have this you know, haves and have nots kind of mystical stuff going on, you know, all these elements that are so cool and, and a final fight that ends it perfectly. And then you go, Nope, we're going to take this to the highest degree. We're going to make it two more, two more more movies. And obviously a fourth one to come, uh, you know, and plus the animatrix, which is actually probably one of the more coherent parts of the whole thing. Uh, but it's, they just fucked it up because they went too yep. big with an idea that wasn't ready for prime time. And I'm glad that this stuck true to what it was and it didn't go too big. And it was amazingly entertaining for what it was. I did not see this coming. I, when I sent you everything, I was very intrigued because I thought this shit looks crazy. And the fact yeah, that it, it was, it's crazy. The fact that it was Spanish didn't care. I've been on a kind of an international kick myself anyway, uh, especially even the gory or action-y type. So I'm all over that. Uh, and I definitely, I recommend this movie. Would you say the same? Yes. Yep. And who would you exactly, like if of the people in your life, like who are you recommending this to? Who is the type of person who do you think would enjoy this movie? Not people John. People who like. Not Sir John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I hate recommending anything to him. Uh, I think people who like movies that are slow burns, because this is a slow burn. Mm. I mean, character movies, because this is a character movie. Yes. And people that don't mind movies that don't, like, put everything on a spoon and feed it to you. Yes. Because, again, if you're looking for a definitive answer at the end of this, you're not going to get it. No. Um, You're not going to get it at all. You're going to have to decide by watching the whole thing what you think at the end. Yeah. And I find it... 
the the irony and all the research and everything else of the fact that the reason why this movie got picked up by Netflix is the fact that this movie, a kind of a socialist ideal movie, uh, won a People's Choice Award <laughs> at Toronto. So to me, that I think is the ultimate message. And obviously, I want that poster of everybody wants some crossed over Chris will with do the lab. Yeah, Chris will do it. Yeah. So, and if not, I will absolutely do it myself. I am so <laughs> motivated. I think that's hilarious. So, um, and you are an absolute delight as always, John. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Thanks for having me on, man. I love the show. So, yeah. I mean, dude, we're we're in obviously uh, we're in lockdown right now. We're doing yeah. this over Zoom. We're doing the best we can, trying to put out content. You guys are doing the same. Uh, over at Pina Comics. Tell people uh, what they can expect, what you guys have uh, done maybe recently, and what you guys maybe have going forward, uh, and where to find you. All right, yeah, so Pina Comics. Uh, you can find us on every podcatching app out there, Spotify. We are on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, just anywhere you can get pods. Um, yeah, we have a couple of uh, cool episodes coming out. We do the Pike Movie Invitational, which Andrew is the voice for. Uh, yes, <laughs> the next sir. episode is um, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. That's Ooh. the next one we just we just did with uh, Kurt Spieler, who is a uh, local Connecticut movie director. We have an episode coming out in a few weeks after that uh, where Sir John, myself, Scary Larry Dwyer, and uh, his friend Mike Simonetta came on, and we did our top ten favorite character actors and actresses. Mm. So those people that, you know, they're not the Tom Cruises of the world. They're the, uh, well, I'll throw one name out there. They're the William Fickners of the world. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I, yeah. I thought for sure you were going to lead with a strong Brian Dennehy. Uh, I will not say that Dennehy does not show up. So <laughs> you got four guys and four ten lists. So yeah. that was a longer episode. But yeah, we're just going to, we're getting back into the, into the groove of recording again um, this whole year between some personal stuff and um, COVID-19, we literally, the fo- the three of us, John, Lloyd, and myself, have only recorded, I think, three shows together in the same room. Everything else has either been me and Lloyd plus a guest or me and John plus a guest. It's been 2020. Not for everybody, but yeah. <laughs> that's what it is what it is. Well, as you know, the true loss was the fact that we had to cancel our session for me to be on your podcast. So you yes. know that is the big uh, news coming out of this episode. Uh, but we will obviously hook up. Uh, well, obviously again. we know we could do it now, so I we know. will. Uh, we'll hook back up again and and do uh, what was it? Best of uh, two, uh, top five of nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. I've got, and I've got my season. list. Yeah, I have tons of podcast show lists that have been sitting around for months because we we have to keep canceling and all know. these different things. So it's gonna once this stuff clears up, it's gonna be all good. Yeah, well, I appreciate you always coming on, and you're always with the best content, the best stuff for your own podcast, and when you come on here as well. So I appreciate you uh, being here, especially under uh, such strenuous times. Um, but it's always great talking to you, man. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. I appreciate it, Andrew.